The Presage by James Romansky. The footsteps of man are quiet. Despite their ego, their ignorant hubris, the paths they blaze are but temporary to the eldest of things. They tread upon the earth unknowing that the slightest wind could sweep away their footprints. However, quiet does not mean unimportant. Some walk with great purpose across man's short existence in service of ancient, hungry masters. The stranger walked along the old Georgia road, a man of uncommon type in Lanesville County. He was in his early twenties and walked with the carefree steps of someone without a destination. His sandy brown hair waved in the breeze. The world around him reflected in his dark sunglasses. By all appearances, he was but a man, one like any of the billions who strode before him. But where the stranger's footsteps landed, calamity echoed. He approached the worn Lanesville sign, hands buried in his khaki pockets. His Judas Priest t-shirt swayed lightly in the warm summer air. The stranger scratched his stubbled chin, then wrapped his knuckles on the sign. His hand lingered, and he chipped the cracking paint from the faded population number, 303. He felt the weathered texture on his palm and the weight of the 303 souls waiting ahead. Waiting for him. He continued on his way, enjoying the tree-shaded country highway and the chirps of mid-morning birds. He fixed his pant leg, carefully ensuring the revolver that hugged his ankle remained hidden. The low rumble of a motor turned him around, back down the way he'd wandered. Sputtering slowly toward the stranger was a rust-brown Chevy that bobbed with each bump in the asphalt. The old machine pulled up next to him before coming to a shaky stop, its brakes squealing loudly. Hey there. Squinting from the retracted window was a black-haired woman in a pair of stained jeans and an old flannel. Next to her sat a young boy with a plume of black hair that matched his mother's. Both had chocolate skin with a faint line of freckles that spotted their cheeks and nose. You headed into town? Yes, ma'am. The stranger removed his sunglasses, revealing light brown irises. He'd gotten used to putting others at ease. He knew he was unassuming, that he could disarm people's apprehension with a friendly smile and tender look. The stranger opened his attention to the road and squinted up the expanse in front of them. He'd learned not to hurry, despite what followed. After all, it wasn't after him. Not really. Mm-hmm. It's too hot out here for someone to be walking without so much as a water bottle. You break down? No, ma'am. Just enjoy the walkies. I should be fine on my own. I've got time. <laughs> in this heat, boy, you're fixing the faint. Hop on in. Oh, no. I really don't mind the walk. Promise. I insist. What kind of Christian would I be if I let someone kill over in this Georgia summer? She pulled on Peter's sleeve, drawing him closer. She patted the burgundy stretch of seat directly next to her. Scoot your skinny butt over. Give this young man some room. Well, I suppose I can't say no, can I? 
The stranger opened the passenger door. The hinges wailed as he entered the truck and shut it behind him. The woman put her Chevy into gear. His old engine revved, putting every bit of effort forward, and the group continued together down the one-lane highway. My name's May. This is my youngest, Peter. Hey, Peter. He pointed at the boy with a finger gun. The boy stared at his hand, then at him, then back to the finger without saying a word. The stranger stowed the finger pistol. He'd never had luck with kids. He didn't know if it were mistrust in strangers that parents hammered into every cautionary conversation, or that they simply could see through him, sense what stalked him. My name's Josie. <laughs> Josie? Peter Jensen. <laughs> no, not Josie. But close. Josie. So, Joe, what brings you to Lanesville? Just passing through, relying on the kindness of strangers. I've gone walkabout, I guess. You two live in town? Oh, no. We live about 45 minutes out. Good. Safer out there than in the city. Well, Lanesville's real small. It's all country living, really. That... Kinda city lights just don't match this town. Even still, the truck puttered, passing the welcome to Lanesville sign. Below the faded porcelain letters lay the town motto, the home at the end of all roads. The expanse of orchards and fields ended at the edge of town. City Hall towered over the quaint shops and historic houses that sat within the five roads that comprised Lanesville. The Chevy meandered down Main Street and through a town that reminded the stranger of Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. In fact, nearly all the towns had reminded him of that show. He had to put that aside for what must be done. May waved out her window with a wide, friendly smile to someone who called her name from the sidewalk. The stranger glanced down at Peter who returned his look with a wary eyebrow. She parked in an open space at the edge of Town Square. Welcome to Lanesville, Joe. Seems quiet. Happy. They exited the truck and stepped out onto the hot pavement. His weathered boots crunched on the pebble as he scanned at the quaint village. Oh yeah, it's a nice place. What brings you to town, if you don't mind my asking? May jutted a thumb to the Chevy's bed and the stranger glanced in. Large burlap sacks, stuffed full, lined the truck's rear storage. Each bag labeled with its contents. Onions, peppers, apples, carrots, radishes, corn. You need some help unloading? Repay you for the ride. The owner of the market's over there, and he's got three sons that can do that. You go over to Suzanne's, best fried steak in the whole state. She pointed across the street at the local diner. It buzzed with patrons as if it were sacred. That how you make a living? The stranger nodded at the produce-packed burlap sacks. It's all we need. Hell, if Hank's one under, we wouldn't know what to do with our produce. Guess the farmer's market would have to step up. Our family, along with the Petersons, feed pretty much the whole town. Huh? Big guy? 
May asked Peter in a light motherly tone as she lifted him into her arms. The boy giggled fondly. The stranger smiled, attempting to mask his sadness, and familiar guilt swept through him. Well, thanks for the ride, May. He thanked her with a solemn smile and turned to the quaint diner. He fought the urge to warn her, to tell her to leave this place to never come back, that this place was soon to be gone. Instead, he pushed his humanity far from thought and brought the lenses of his sunglasses over his eyes again. He walked toward the diner where the sign above the door read, Susie's American Home Cooking. You take care, Josie. Everything in the stranger screamed for him to keep walking. None of this would be his fault. This was just the way of the world. Whether other people believed it or not, it was. He stopped. He could save, too, couldn't he? May? How often do you two come to town? He hated the way his heart ached. It's, uh, so, about every once week since the kids aren't in school. In five days, you think? He tasted bile. He'd learned not to warn. It only made this harder. It put a target on its back. It made people cruel. It made him numb. No, we only come in when we have to. Good. You two take care. The stranger let his eyes linger, hoping they'd survive, hoping 45 minutes out was far enough from this cursed place. There was no reason to get invested in people's lives, no matter how kind they were. He left me and Peter crossing the street without bothering to even look. Bye, Josie. The stranger rose a hand and waved, but didn't turn around. He didn't dare look back, wouldn't let himself feel any more for them. A bell rang above his head as he entered the restaurant, quieting the townsfolk who had been eating. The diner wasn't much cooler than the summer day. Several, mostly elderly customers, turned from their booths and chairs to watch him walk in. Their jaws worked up and down as they chewed the food that occupied their mouths. He'd gotten used to the small town skepticism. The stranger took the glasses from his head and slipped them onto the neckline of his shirt. A wooden sign stood like a sentinel in front of him, advising him to find an open seat at the bar or wait to be seated at a table. He spied a swivel stool at the end of the bar, nestled between a multi-story glass case of pies and a dented napkin dispenser. The restaurant patrons followed him as he moved across a diner, weaving between tables and customers. Barrel-chested men sat with their shoulders up and poised over at him, while the majority of the women followed him with only their eyes. When he found his seat, the customers had made their assessment and returned to their meals. A curvy young girl, somewhere in the ballpark of his age, exited the kitchen carrying three dishes on one arm and a fourth in her other hand. She doled out the food to the men who sat at the other end of the bar before spotting him. She approached. Her orange hair was pulled up into a messy mass at the top of her head, a pen skewering it. The woman wore a clean apron that was stretched taut across her chest. Her makeup was neat and even, eyebrows sharp and eyes smoky. She smiled, her full lips parted slightly as she came to take his order. Well, it's nice to see a new face. And look at those eyes. Must be like seeing the world through honey. The stranger laughed lightly. He felt his face flush and fought off a wave of shyness that never seemed to have left him in all these miles and years spent wandering. Something like that. Well, my name is Luann. What can I get you to drink? Water, for now. Luann slid him a menu. Take your time, sweetie. Actually, I know what I'm having. 
The stranger slid the menu back. New to town and already knows what he wants. Hope you're sticking around. I heard the chicken fried steak is good. Well, I heard it was the best in the state. Your choice of white or brown gravy comes with potatoes, baked or mashed, corn, either fried okra or mixed vegetables. And yes, it really is that good. The stranger thought for a moment before answering. Can I get it all? Both gravies on the side. We call that a Clayton Billups, honey. And yes, you can. She laughed and strode from him back to the kitchen window, putting her ticket on the counter. Her hips swung and she looked back at the stranger with a smile that flushed his face. One Clayton Phillips! As he waited, the restaurant slowly came back to life. The locals returned to loud conversations that seemed to involve everyone in the place rather than specific tables. Shouts about professional baseball erupted from the corner. A heated debate about whether the Braves seemed to dominate all other words. Ooh, here we go. She delivered his plates of food, rested an elbow on the counter, and waited. She glanced sweetly at him before fixating on the conversation. That's all they've done for the last 15 years, Gary. And they'll do it again and again until they get it right. That's the only way. You've got to build around a system. That's what they did in the 90s. The man named Gary stood and pointed an aggressive finger at the spot where he stood as he argued. His portly belly hung low over his belt behind the plaid button-down. A gray cap rested on his head, faded from years in the sun. Shut it, Gary. Their pitching carried them through the 90s. He ripped his wallet from his faded blue jean pocket and tossed dollar bills on the table and then stormed away. The other townspeople laughed and giggled. Gary neared the door and enunciated his words by repeatedly bringing the blade of his hand into the other palm. No, goddammit! The system did. It's not baseball anymore. It's superstar after superstar, and they don't make any team win. System, system, system. Well, what about the Red Sox or the Yankees? You want to beat the big clubs, you got to play like them. Gary stopped in the door and stared at the man who said the statement, burning hate in his grizzled eyes. Blow that shit out of your ass, Dan. Don't you ever bring up the Yankees in this town again. We ain't the goddamn Yankees. He let the diner door slam close behind him and walked aggressively to his truck. Though muffled, the stranger could still hear him cussing with every wild kick and wave of his arms. The stranger took his time eating, watching customers file out after their meals. As he finished the bowl of okra, the last couple exited, leaving him alone in the diner. The lunchtime rush had ended and the restaurant seemed sad without its occupants. Well? Not bad. She laughed and held up his empty plate on the way back to the kitchen. Clearly, no one finishes a Clayton Billups who doesn't love it. The bell, taped on the frame above the door, gave a light jingle as it opened. A great bear of a man entered the restaurant. He removed his long-brimmed hat and used it as a fan. A gold star hung from his lapel. He was broad and muscled. Silver stubble lined his jaws and cheeks. His sweat-laden white hair clung to his head heavily. Go ahead, Sheriff. The booth's open. Thank you. The sheriff strode through the empty diner. His footsteps thumped along the wooden floorboards. The stranger and the sheriff met eyes, and the older man acknowledged him with authority, a slight nod coupled with a critical glance. The stranger returned the nod before taking a calming drink from his glass. Luann made her way from the kitchen, producing her pad and pen. She fixed chairs that hadn't been pushed in while humming lightly to herself.
Special today? Ribs and mashed potatoes, side of mixed vegetables or corn on the cob. The sheriff rubbed his chin and looked out the window at the lazy afternoon Main Street. He looked unsatisfied but was too polite to say anything about it. It's close enough to breakfast. I'll tell Darren to cook you up some cakes and bacon. I'll start another pot and get you a cup. Thank you much. Luann turned to leave his table, but the sheriff called out. Luann? Yes? I haven't seen your mama down at Hank's for some time, and I just can't seem to get the right coffee beans without her. Is she all right? The light that filled Luann seemed to go out. As if her welcoming attitude stood candlelit on the windowsill. The night's breeze had come. The darkness now permeated her face. She's laid up, coughing and hacking. She don't seem to have much left in her. The stranger kept his eyes forward, but listened intently. I figured. she go and see that doctor in Atlanta yet? The stranger stole a glance. Luann pursed her lips, then swallowed. Her eyes found the floor. She don't want to waste the money. Luann said and wiped her eyes, careful not to make a mess of her makeup. Me and your mama go way back. Tell her to go see that doctor. Tell Jeremiah's calling in the favor. He held out his hand, palm up. Luann put her hand in his. The large man squeezed softly. He put his second hand over the top of hers and pushed a large wad of cash into her palm. <gasps> Sheriff, I can't. Luann stared down at the money in quiet shock. Yes, you can. That's for the mill and the rest is a tip. Go tell Darren these better be the best pancakes he's ever made. He nudged her away with an easy push on her hip. Luann scurried across the diner, stifling her tears as best she could, and again the restaurant went quiet. The stranger looked down into his glass, still thirsty, always thirsty. His thoughts drifted across the restaurant and surrounded the sheriff. This was a good man, not just a cop. More than that. These were his people, his flock. The aged lion who sat alone kept wary eyes on its pride. He needed to be warned. The stranger knew and loathed the pull from deep within him. The sense that drove him to care about the people he encountered. That was pretty generous. The stranger broke the silence without looking over at the other man. Instead, he leaned over the counter, found a small fridge, and pried it open. He retrieved a cool, already sweating bottle. He snapped the cap from its neck and took a long drink. The sheriff eyed the young man skeptically. Don't worry, sheriff. I'm paying for it. The stranger crossed the diner. He tipped the bottle at the sheriff. He took the seat opposite the man and took a second, shorter drink. It's that Mexico real sugar soda. A polite man would have asked to sit. Yeah, that's probably the truth. Now, I need you to know, I don't usually do this. It's never worked out for me before. And I mean never. <laughs> but I like your town. He gritted his teeth, his better judgment's last attempt to shut his mouth. Excuse me? The thing is, I've made rules about this sort of thing. I'm breaking them. Again. The other man continued his internal judgments, his eyes looking over the stranger with practiced critical assessments. The sheriff was easy to peg, ex-military type, someone left out in the jungles of the Pacific long enough for him to question everything about the country that sent him there. Usually, I don't say a word, just let the wind blow. 
Cause ain't no one stopping the wind. Son, start making some sense. Sorry, Sheriff... Dawkins. Dawkins. I can tell you love this town. The people here. Home's a hard thing to find. Question is, what would you do to save it? Sheriff Dawkins waited, and though his face remained placid, it was obvious he regarded the stranger with a wary hostility. If I told you it could be saved, that a man such as yourself would need to pay dues, would you do it? What's that supposed to mean? There's something coming, Sheriff. And Lanesville doesn't have much time left. Five days, well, four days and some hefty change now. Dawkins brought an old hand to the silver stubble along his jaw and let out an amused puff of air. He shook his head. What's your name, son? Joe C. Dawkins rose a judgmental eyebrow. Joe C. All right, well, Joe, I never expected doomsday talk out of a guy like yourself. Don't you all usually tote around signs and hand out pamphlets? The stranger sagged back into the booth, burdened by an unimaginable weight. Not the world. Not yet. I know this is ridiculous to you. Shit, it is to everyone. There's no way I can put this that doesn't make me sound insane. You've got five days. Lanesville's got five more mornings left on Earth. For long moments, the two stared at one another, nothing but silence separating them. Go ahead. You can laugh. Sheriff Dawkins did. A small and short laugh. His eyes softened, taking pity on the young, disturbed man. This place, it doesn't matter to me. Neither did the others. But this is my warning. Take it if you want. If you don't, Lanesville's done. <laughs> that a fact. I'm not lying to you, Sheriff. I'm not crazy. Ever wonder why those small towns that dot the country get swept away? They're on the news and they say tornado, earthquake, bullshit, me. I blew through those towns and now I'm here asking you to leave. Big bad wolf kind of stuff. Luann approached the table, a pot of coffee in one hand and a mug in the other. Just under the rim of the mug read the sheriff's name in bold black letters. See? You made your way over here. Need anything? She asked the stranger as she poured the coffee into Dawkins' mug and slid it over to him. Thank you. Dawkins took a sip from the steaming mug. Just add the coke on my bill. Sure thing. Food will be out in a few, Sheriff. Don't fuss on it. I got time. Dawkins eyed the stranger as he let his comment stand between them. She walked back toward the kitchen and disappeared behind the swinging door. You seem like a good man, Sheriff. Genuine. Decent. Someone who cares about this place. About the people in it. I've been patient with you, boy, but I'm getting tired of this conversation. How far do I buy into this delusion before it's alright to get you out of my face? I'm asking you to make a payment. But if you're not going to, you need to get these people out of here. When it comes, and in a few short days, it will. Let it have this place. Just evacuate. Leave. 
the stranger found himself looking out the window. May helped Peter down the sidewalk. She smiled as her boy waved his arm through the air at the invisible enemies he was fighting. He could almost hear the mother's laughter at her son's invisible adventure. She grabbed a beat-up book from her cab, and the two made their way to the empty park. They don't deserve this. The stranger said more to himself than Dawkins. You said it. He nodded at Dawkins. His heart rested heavy and beaten in its rib cage. What do you mean, it? I don't know. Not really. Something old. Something angry. Joe, how do you think this sounds to someone like me? I know exactly how it sounds. I've heard myself say this to a lot of people like you. Doesn't change the fact you'll all be dead in a few days. He took a long drink from the soda, leaving the bottle empty. He placed it heavily back on the table and let his helpless gaze linger on the sweaty glass. Hmm. Tell me, why is it coming for Lanesville? Because I happen by. Because it follows me. Does what it always has. Makes us bow. Puts us on our hands and knees the way it used to be. Before we forgot. Dawkins didn't answer. He shook his head and let out a disbelieving puff from his lips. Pay. Run. Die. I don't care. I'll be long gone. I think now's the time you paid and went on your way, son. Yeah, that's about what I expected. See, this shit, this is why I have rules. Why would you believe me? I'm just the guy who's trying to save you. Somehow, I think you'll be just fine. I know I will. Lanesville, these people, you, you're all fucked. Get out of my town, Joe, before I throw you out. The stranger stood silently, remembering how many times he'd walked from tables, desks, and offices of people who refused to listen. His memory whirled from the towns who'd laughed him from their borders. They refused to hear his word, his warning. The faces of those who no longer existed haunted him, trailed behind him in stony silence, never to laugh or scream, smile, or cry again. This was all his fault, but he had little choice in it. Sheriff, before this is over, you'll think about this conversation. You'll think about me, and know it could have been different. I don't know how many times you've actually done your job, but right now, we'll define you. Tell you what, how much? How much to get your wandering ass out of here? Dawkins rocked to one side. He worked a hand into his back pocket and produced his wallet. He shook it lightly at the stranger. I'm not the one you pay. And you can be sure it won't want your damn money. Dawkins shook his head and tossed his wallet onto the table in front of him. He smiled arrogantly and shrugged. Well, I don't think I can help you, son. I've never met a wanderer that looked at cash and turned his nose up. This ain't no charity. Time to leave. The kitchen door opened. Luann carried the sheriff's plates of food to the table. She smiled at the stranger with affection before passing him and serving the older man. There you are, sheriff. And for you, sweetie. She retracted a bill from her apron pocket and handed it to him. The stranger took the bill with a curt nod, not letting his eyes linger. 
Well, Darren and I are going to take a quick smoke break. Y'all need anything more? Just come around back and let us know. I'll just put the cash on the counter. Or come back and get me. Dealer's choice. She eyed him tenderly and smiled. She had a life, a mother. She lived and she has no idea that she'd soon be dead. When this all started, his purpose, his heart would rip and break with each passing face, each polite smile, each child who laughed and played. But now it merely ached and sunk deeper within him, retreating as far away from the pain as it could. But now it merely ached and sunk deeper within him, retreating as far away from the pain as it could. He wondered how long it would be until he felt nothing at all, callous to the lives he'd left and the disaster that followed. You two calm down out there. Ain't no political talks at Susie's. Luhan pointed her pen at the two of them in polite warning, then left them alone. The stranger heard her call for Darren, and the back door closed. He looked down at the ticket. Below the math resided the digits of a phone number. He dug in his pocket, retrieving a small wad of cash from it. The sight of his dwindling money made the old revolver seem heavier in its ankle holster. The stranger's heart began to thump loudly. He set a $100 bill on the counter and tried to steady his already nervous breath. Drifters come and go around here, but son, you might very well be the craziest sumbitch I ever met. If it ain't money you're here for, what the hell's your game? Simple. Something even you'll understand. The stranger didn't turn. Old anger welled in him. Oh, going to start making sense now. When it comes, you'll know it. Some piece of your brain, that ancient part, will recognize it. It doesn't want praise or followers, doesn't flesh or food or money. It wants pain. The stranger slowly faced the sheriff. He walked to the booth, his movements fluid, the cessation of his humanity growing stronger with every step. He looked down on the older man, close enough now to reach out and touch him. Like all the other towns I've traveled, you'll laugh as I leave. You'll tell all your buddies about the crazy asshole in the diner. But when it's here, and you look God in the face, you will know its name. You could stop it with one decision, a single thing. Yeah, that being? An offer. A child. Dawkins shook his head ridiculously and broke the tense eye contact. He looked out the window and then felt the cold metal of a pistol on his neck accompanied by the clicking of its hammer. I'm sorry, Sheriff. The stranger pulled the pistol from Dawkins' holster and stuffed it into the waistline of his khakis. Dawkins turned to face the man, eyeing the barrel pointed at his face. Up. Dawkins rose wordlessly, aiming for a moment to subdue the smaller man bathroom. The stranger jerked his head toward the restrooms and the two moved through the silent diner. Dawkins pushed open the door. He knew he needed to wait, get the guy talking again. Joe, I don't know what you're thinking of doing, but this ain't the way. Blinding pain dropped Dawkins to his knees. His vision blurred. His consciousness fought to remain present. The stranger dragged Dawkins into a stall. He took the man's handcuffs from his belt and bound him around the back of a toilet. The sheriff's head bobbed. His eyes rolled, trying to find their equilibrium. You son bitch. His large, powerful arms pulled at the chain and the porcelain shifted. Don't do that. 
Listen, I'm a lot of shitty things. I'm a killer, I'm a thief, and I'm not going to make excuses. But I'm not a liar. The stranger rose his revolver from the stall's doorway and pointed directly down at Dawkins' face. Burning hatred coursed through Dawkins. His anger boiled in his veins as he hugged the toilet and the cuffs dug into his wrists. I'm not a liar, and I'm not crazy. What I told you out there is the truth. This place will be wiped off the map. I'm warning you what will happen. No maybes, no 60% chance of rain, no 100% chance of death in five days. I've been doing this for a long time now. You get used to the road, to the disbelief, the sideways glances and comments, loneliness. You know what I can't get used to? What keeps me up at night? The fact that good men like you do nothing and people die. Dawkins shifted the toilet again, preparing himself to pull the toilet from the wall. Jesus, Dawkins! He put the revolver back in its ankle holster, then walked up and grabbed the older man by his collar. Get these people out of this town or choose a kid. One child saves the rest of you. Those are your options, you hear me? That's it. It's on you now, not me. Get your people out of Lanesville. He pulled a fist back and punched the man as hard as he could. The stranger felt the older man's unconscious weight slump onto the tile floor. He caught sight of himself in the mirror. He didn't want to see his reflection, see the person it had made him. A man who ran and stole, who'd rather leave than stay and warn them. It had made him into a pariah, an accessory to genocide. He pulled the sheriff's pistol from his waistline and ejected the magazine into the bowl of the sink and then tossed the gun in with it. He walked back into the empty diner and snagged a lonely-looking piece of pie from the glass case. He ate it, dropping sweet slices of brown sugar-coated apples on the clean floors as he made his way to the register. With his pointer finger, he traced each clouded plastic button until he found the one labeled Open Till. He pressed it, and the drawer popped open. He grabbed every $20 bill as well as the loan 50 available, leaving the smaller bills behind. Not much money, but enough to get him back out on the road. Shoving the cash in his pocket, he left his hunter sitting on the ticket that Luann had handed him. The stranger left the restaurant and back out into the shimmering Georgia heat. The afternoon sun was blinding. He replaced his sunglasses and started making his way west. Lanesville had spoken, and he didn't want to wait around for Dawkins to break free. Some places he could stay a day or two, others he was run out immediately. Either way, he refused to stay any longer than day three. It became too hard. The warm breeze moved through the trees, cooling the sweat on his brow. The town meandered around him, unknowing of the fate that walked ever closer. Josie! The stranger hesitated as the familiar voice of Peter called out to him. Guilt churned his stomach at the small sound. He fought the need to turn to see the boy's mischievous face. He lost. The stranger spotted the boy peeking from behind a tall oak. May looked over, smiling warmly at him from a bench where she sat alone. Her thumb was stuck firmly in her closed paperback. Her large brown eyes reflected a version of the world he'd never known. A slow, kind world. A good world that didn't actually exist. The boy waved to him and his heart broke. A faint memory of his own mother permeated the stranger's mind. 
images of a frantic man ripping him from her desperate arms. His mother's face had been anguished, red from the screams and tears. Their neighbors held her tightly. She fought against their clawing grip, reaching for him only to be pulled back into the crowd. He'd lost her then and hadn't seen her since. The man from his memory threw him to the ground in the presence of a new master, an ancient and cruel parent, a being that he'd be forced to serve. He would walk untethered, a herald spreading gospels of fear. The need to help May and Peter erupted from his soul, lighting a fire that had dwindled from years of negligence. The stranger made his way across the street in a hurried fashion, taking care to look back at the diner in case Dawkins had awoken and gotten free. Peter jumped into her lap, turned and pointed at him with a giant grin stretched across his face. How was Susie's? As advertised. He scratched his head, trying to figure out how not to force May into the belief he was certifiably insane. Luann's a sweetheart. Always gives Peter a big scoop of ice cream on the house. She rubbed the boy's head. Peter giggled and ran off toward the jungle gym, leaving the two in the shade of the overarching oak trees. May, can you promise me something? She looked at him strangely, sitting a little straighter. Promise me you won't come back to town next Thursday. Joe, I told you, we don't plan on coming into town. Please, no matter what you need in town, it can wait. Stay out of Lanesville on Thursday. May stared uncomfortably up at the young man. The stranger became more agitated when she didn't respond. Promise me! May waited, eyeing him with genuine concern. May! Okay, I won't come into town. He waved a hand toward Peter, who swung from the monkey bars. None of you. Stay out at your farm, please. Okay, okay, I promise. Everything all right? His panic began to taper, replaced with a deep, sorrowful guilt. He backed away ashamed and left her sitting on the bench alone. He did not look back. He hoped, come Thursday, she'd stay far away from this place. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You take care now, Joe. His feet found the sidewalk. The stranger retreated down Main Street, passing the small shops and faded houses. He came to an abrupt stop outside the market, May and Peter's livelihood. Again, abused morality rose up in his chest. He looked through the market's front window. It bustled as the diner had. Mothers and their children walked through the aisles, purchasing goods produced right here in Lanesville County. Mothers and children. Before he realized it, his hand was in his back pocket. He retrieved his knife, clicking it open with a flick of his thumb. In the wooden frame above the entrance, he carved what he could to spare this place. He couldn't save them all, but he could do this. He promised himself he wouldn't feel like this ever again. This would be the last time he felt obligated to save anyone. The last time he'd feel this kind of pain. The stranger could see the edge of town. The road beckoned him to continue with its promise of solitude and purpose. He needed to leave Lanesville. There were more places for him to wander, more people to pay tribute. He left and didn't look back. Dawkins could never find him, no matter how wrathful the old sheriff might be. He was protected on the road. He would walk unseen until the next town came over the horizon. 
He was hidden among the shimmer that reverberated off the highway. The breeze pushed at his back and whispered in his ear for him to run as fast as he could. It told tales of what followed him, relaying that the small places wouldn't be enough anymore. He let his feet carry him across the earth. The sun bathed him in its warmth, and he left the weight of his three hundred doomed souls far behind. May sipped her cold coffee. It had sat on the counter for half an hour while she helped her husband load up the produce in the old Chevy. She watched Peter run after his sister. Naomi was taller than her younger brother. Her skin was a shade darker. From the kitchen window, she watched them sword fight with twigs that had fallen from the willow out in front of the house. She heard the back door open and close again. At spring gave a tense well as her husband Nathan entered the house. Everything's loaded up and ready. May loved the way he looked when he worked, had fallen in love with him in clothes with dirt stains and rings of sweat. He opened the refrigerator, his forearm flexing as he took hold of the carton. He wore a gray sweat-stained shirt, its long sleeves pushed up just below his elbows. He retrieved a carton of pineapple juice, unscrewed the cap, and drank from it. Naomi wants to go see Candace down the road. I'll drop her off on the way into town. May walked to the cupboard and pulled a glass from it. She placed it in front of her husband and tapped the edge of the glass with her fingernail. Nathan nodded, swallowing the juice and pouring more into the glass. I'll keep Peter. He can come with me to the creek. I have a fences down over there. Nathan put the cool glass to his sweat-dappled forehead. Take Duke with you. He watches Peter like a hawk. She rinsed her mug in the sink. From the yard, Naomi pretended her stick was a bow. She shot imaginary arrows at her brother, who ran from tree to tree for cover. He turned somersaults in the grass, avoiding expert shots from his sister. I can watch him. May rose an eyebrow at him. Nate, your son's a runner. He's got way too much going on in the head. That dog loves him. Take him with you. For you. He smirked as if he was doing her a favor and kissed her forehead. The heat of him encompassed the cool air around her. Let Hank know we're not taking any less in market for those peaches. Nathan downed the last of his juice and set the glass in the sink. He gave her hand a squeeze as he watched his children from the window. Often May thought he hadn't had a good childhood or even the opportunity to be a kid. He eyed them with a brand of daydream that left him quiet and somber for long minutes to follow. Nathan allowed them to be children, playing much longer than they worked. May didn't know much about his childhood. He never spoke about it. That bothered her from time to time. Her parents found it strange, found him too quiet, too withdrawn. But they didn't see the rare moments when he was too tired to keep the wall up. She liked to think of him as an antique. Sometimes she fantasized that people would point to him and whisper, That's a man who belongs at another time. One of the few good ones left. He belongs to May. She pumped his hand with hers, lovingly. Maybe. I'll tell Peter to throw on his trunks and he can swim while I fix up the fence. Nathan nodded to himself. His voice trailed with a solemn tendril of wistfulness. She poked his shoulder in a playful chastisement, and the mischievous grin lined his lips. Take the dog. He nodded a tender smile at her. Leaving May with another kiss on her forehead, he walked out the back door and out into the sun. Peter, go get some trunks on. We're going to go down to the creek. Peter came running through the door and hurriedly up the stairs. 
She watched as Nathan walked out among the grass. He faced away from the house. The door framed him as he walked out to the barn. Like a painting brought to life, her working man left a wake of golden grass waving behind him. Then the mutt came running from behind, weaving through the long grass. Duke stopped abruptly. He searched for the boy, scanning their property for him. Its ears were perked, and its head swung from side to side. Duke waited for the boy to show himself, rigid and alert for its closest friend. Peter came running down the stairs. His American flag swimming trunks were a bit big, and he had to run with a hand hoisting up his waistline. Bye, Mom. He didn't wait for her to reply and ran from the house as fast as his legs would carry. The dog noticed him and raced to his side, then trotted with him. May grabbed the keys to the old truck from the hook and grabbed her sunglasses. At the sight of them, she thought of Joe and his aviators the first time since the day he'd left. The day he robbed the diner and assaulted Sheriff Dawkins. She always had been a good judge of character. The fact that she'd been so wrong about him bothered her, made her ashamed. She'd refused to tell Nathan about him. But he'd stuck heavily in her mind, and it bothered her that he still had a place in her thoughts. She figured he was troubled, but not in the way he'd shown himself to be. Mom, let's go. Naomi waved from the passenger seat of the truck. May walked out her front door, knowing Joe had to be long gone by now. A piece of her still hoped he was all right. She remembered his vulnerability, like a dog that had been kicked, good-natured but ultimately broken somewhere where it mattered. His control over his life had fallen between his fingers and been lost among the sand. She had prayed for him. The ride to Peterson's was short. Naomi hugged her quickly and lost herself from the passenger side up the porch steps and started to gossip with Candace. Candace waved as May continued up the road. She passed through the orchards, their tall arms creating tangled archways above the road. She turned the radio down and listened to the truck ramble in the shade of the trees. Her eyes darted to the side of the road repeatedly. She half expected to see Joe walking into town again, his light, swaggering gait carrying him through the world. He wasn't there. Further down the road, the hairs on her neck began to stand, then the rest of her body followed, and chills ran down her spine. The welcome sign was shattered to bits, the pole ripped from the ground and cast into the road. The remainder of the sign now read, End of All. May weaved the truck through the most jagged pieces, careful to not run over too much with old tires. Her heart began to race, wondering what had happened. Eventually, she concluded it must have been a drunk on the road. She first smelled the smoke, acrid and heavy on the air. Then she saw it. The wreckage was strewn over Main Street. Buildings toppled, some still burned. Her heart thumped as she passed neighborhoods with houses that now lay in shambles. Some sat lopsided with large holes through them. Others seemed to have been lifted and slammed into neighboring homes. Nothing prepared her for what came next. Nothing could have. A new structure stood in the center of Main Street. Not a building, but nearly as large. Pieces of debris from nearby stores and homes had been stacked expertly. The amalgamation of objects created a large, flat-topped altar. Within it, between clumps of concrete and cars, were people of Lanesville. Their twisted bodies were jammed between the pieces of the altar. Hands and legs jutted awkwardly from the cracks, desperately reaching out into the world. May couldn't breathe. She forced herself to look away from it and find oxygen. One building stood beyond the monolith, pristine in the chaos and carnage in front of her. Hank's supermarket seemed untouched. 
its walls unburned and unbroken. She left the truck and ran forward, leaving the door to swing wildly, the hinges wailing. Shock drove her toward the building. Someone was alive. Someone had to be. The shadow of the altar engulfed her, stopping her where she stood. A wall of fetid decay struck her hard in the face. Thousands of flies permeated the air around the monument, creating an overwhelming hum. The sound surrounded her, disorienting her. She tried not to look, afraid to see a familiar face, but the magnitude of it drew her closer. The entire thing seemed to have bled. Coagulated blood cascaded down the desperate hands to drip from their fingertips down onto the asphalt. May could see the twisted forms of people she had undoubtedly met, people she'd come to love as neighbors and friends. Broken spines and ribs protruded from the gore. Tangled bodies grasped one another in an unending puzzle of flesh and bone. She retched. Coffee, eggs, and bacon from that morning's breakfast poured from her onto the sun-heated pavement. She stumbled past the structure, her vision blurred. Desperation drove her forward as everything else told her to flee. She leaned on an overturned truck. Its engine block flattened and bent beyond recognition and found her balance by staring into the cracks in the pavement. May then pushed further toward Hanks. She had to get away from it. The sight of it, the stench caused her to sway and fall. Shooting pain erupted from her knees as she tore open her jeans and skin against the concrete. Hello? None answered. She stood and sprinted toward the market. There had to be someone left. There must be. May came to a skidding halt in front of Hank's. The windows were dark, the power completely out. She saw a flicker of movement, then another, and another. Mothers came shakily forward out of the shadows of the darkened market, their faces stained with ash and blood. Some trembled, their eyes vacant. Others pointed and comforted their children. Hank came into view. He hobbled on a makeshift crutch. As soon as he saw her, it fell to the floor. He limped through the door. His blue eyes, lined with kind crow's feet, were opened wide and shocked. May? Thank the Lord. He took her in a tight-armed hug. The strong man sobbed in her arms. More and more women came forward, pouring out around her. Their children held tightly to their sides. They surrounded her, hugging and wailing in their grief. Some cried while others searched for answers to what had befallen them. He surveyed the town. Trees had been ripped from the ground and now jutted out of half-demolished buildings. Telephone poles were splintered at their bases. City Hall had tumbled atop and crushed the neighboring businesses. In front of the toppled building, its bronze lion protectors still stood. The two stared out unflinching and brave into the desolation around them, toward that altar of pain. Lanesville no longer existed, but that monument did. She wondered how many of the brick piles and shattered homes had friends waiting to be discovered, loved ones to find and bury. How many were crammed into the altar? Hank, what happened? May asked the shopkeeper without tearing her eyes from the destruction. He shook his head and took a shaky seat on the curb. His weeping eyes found the altar and the bodies that made up its construction before being lost to the ruins of the town. Hank? The wall of clambering women kept pushing her from him. Faces she'd known for years now wept at her presence. We've almost gone through the food. May? May. My God, May. She couldn't find the owner of the desperate call. It came and took my boys. They're in that thing. Get them out. I need to go get them. 
Hank. Do you have food? A mother carrying a small pitiful toddler asked. The child had a thick bandage over the left side of his face. His visible eye was wide, panicked, and searching the broken city. Please. May barely heard herself over the rising voices. Please, I have food. It's in the truck bed. The group moved frantically down the street. They called out to her and thanked her. They sobbed and touched her hands as if she were a saint or a god herself. They stared clear of the amalgamation that their loved ones had been used as mortar to create and hold together. They were mere material to whatever had constructed the monument. May fought back the helplessness, the shock. She could still smell it, would always smell it. She went to Hank, knelt in front of him, but recognition of her presence never crossed his face. Hank had always been kind, unburdened in any of the hard times of the past. She took that as strength. His strength would carry them through when hard times hit. Hank would buy produce he didn't need from her, even sold it for cheaper to the locals. Always said that it was the Christian thing to do, the only way to keep Plainsville alive. But now she didn't recognize the man who sat in front of her. He was haunted, shattered. Hank. As rolling tears traversed his tired face, he finally found the woman in front of him. Tell me what it is. I gave my boys a day off. Found John Susan's what was left of him. David was at the house. They walked right through it. I found him in the front lawn. Looked like he was sleeping. Daniel. She waited, but the man didn't continue. Hank was again lost. The name of his youngest son hung on the fetid air. Who did that? She refused to look at the altar. She took the spot next to him on the cracked curb, the weight of such loss hitting her. Hank shook his head, grief contorting his face into a painful grimace. I lost all of them. Daniel, could be okay, Hank. I've got the truck. We can look for him. No, May, it's been two days. He's somewhere in there. He stared at the altar. He was resigned to his fate, to the fate of them all. I can't find him, but I know he's there. Who did this? You didn't see it? It didn't come for you? She threaded her fingers through his and shook her head. The Petersons were home when I passed their house. They seemed fine too. We had no idea. How could you not see it? You, you didn't hear it? She shook her head again. Hank's head now hung low. He hobbled back into the market, muttering to himself. How could it be just here? Hank! She called after him, but the man didn't turn. He continued through the door into the darkness among the half-empty shelves and makeshift beds. She saw it then above the door. Carved deep in the wood were the letters J.C., she stood, unable to remember them ever being there before. May glanced back at her truck. The women were helping one another unload the burlap sacks of fruits and vegetables. Joyous sobs rang for temporary salvation. She ran her hands over the carving. Fresh, scarred ravines in the wood beam pricked her palm with small splinters. Something faint raced through her, a passing dread that awoke from some sort of ancient fear within her. May retracted her hand as if the letters had burned her and backed away from them. She recalled Joe's fevered pleas to keep her away from Lanesville. The way he made her promise to stay far away, it would be one of the last times she thought about him for more than a passing moment. 
In years to come, she would cut her thoughts short as they wandered to him and the altar, those that linked him and the carving over Hank's door and the lives saved within. She wouldn't allow herself to further corrupt her understanding of the world. But for now, she let them flow. Thoughts about a man who'd warned her, who scribbled his initials over Hank's threshold, and the undeniable pulse she felt from the letters. The weight of her realizations made the world shift under her feet. The inkling of belief that Joe was more than a wanderer, more than a thief and a cheat, enraged her. The nagging thoughts that she no longer understood the world or her role in it made her stomach turn. He'd known, he'd saved lives and could have saved more, but didn't. She couldn't see any other explanation. When she thought of their old farm out in the country, when the altar forced its way into her dreams with its stench in the army of flies, there came with it a question, one that lingered and ate at her, one that she would push far away, one she refused to answer, a question that would come stalking alongside the broken limbs and the enormity of the monument itself. Would she have listened? Story by James Romansky Voice Work May Voiced by Mindy Bechtel Luann Voiced by Angela Potter The Stranger Voiced by Trevor Cooper Gary Voiced by Patrick Potter Peter Cafe Patrons Sheriff Dawkins Nathan, Naomi, Hank, and Women in Hanks, voiced by Troy Stegner.